amusing ourselves to death. And this is from um, that book, and notice what he writes about uh, reading. And he says, from Erasmus in the 16th century to Elizabeth Einstein in the 20th, almost every scholar who has grappled with the question of what reading does to one's habits of mind has concluded that the process encourages rationality, that the sequential propositional character of the written word fosters what Walter Ong calls the analytical management of knowledge. To engage the written word means to find a line of thought which requires considerable powers of classifying, inference-making, and reasoning. It means to uncover lies, confusion, and overgeneralizations, to detect abuses of logic and common sense. And this is why we're where we are in our country today, because the reading levels of people has has reached a very low standard. And they can't really be, they're not able to to, uh, analyze and to think through simple things. It's just fascinating to me to see it, that the the culture is declining. And it's an absolute, unbelievable inability to be able to recognize simple things. That logic, you don't, logic would be able to help you to understand (coughs) that. And it's just... It's just fascinating to see. It's just really fascinating to see. But anyway, that brings us to our message for today, and we do take a detour from our <coughs> sermon on uh, our series on love to um, a, a celebration of the Incarnation, which is the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to look at this because this is really an interesting subject matter, and we haven't dealt with it here. And I did want to and felt led to deal with it here. And because this is a issue that the Catholic Church continues to, uh, to um, um, perpetuate. And so they believe that Mary gave birth to God. This is their, in their doctrinal statement that they believe that Mary gave birth to God. So if I were to ask if any of you, is this true, what would you say? What would you say? Now... I've heard people say no, so then if I ask you if it's true and you say no, why is it not true? Now that's a tougher question, isn't it? Why is it not true? Okay. Because Mary's not deity. Those are good things. But I want you to understand that it even goes deeper than that. It even goes deeper than that. Now, I'm going to read you a quote from the Catholic Church um, and some of the things that they believe. And I want you to know that they make some uh, they make some statements that are inconsistent with Scripture, you see. And this is how they arrive at where they uh, they arrive on this doctrine. (laughs) And so I want you to know here that for Mary, before we get to the quote, for Mary to give birth to God, the son had not to be in existence in the past. Right. For Mary to give birth to God, Mary would have then had to have been deity herself. They make a lot of bad statements. And so this is why you see that they can revere her and worship her, put her on a pedal that if she's God herself, pray to her, and all of this other nonsense that they do, which is just, it's blasphemous what they're doing. It's absolute blasphemous. 
So a scripture sometimes is used uh, to perpetuate this heresy is found in Luke 1, 43, when they say Elizabeth stated that Mary was given birth to my Lord. And so when, that, when Elizabeth says Mary's given birth to my Lord, she says, yeah, ha ha, see, Lord, right? And so this is just the reasoning there is, is really they stretch the bounds of logic to, to reach that conclusion, but they do. And so this guy, Tim Staples of Catholic Answers, defends this doctrine in this way. He gives this quote, Mary, the mother of God, precisely because Jesus Christ, her son, is God. And when Mary gave birth, she did not give birth to a nature or even two natures. She gave birth to one divine person. To deny this essential truth of the faith of the Council of Ephesus declared in his first of many anathemas of St. Cyril, which would be accepted by the Council, is heresy. If anyone does not confess that God is truly Emmanuel, and that on this account the Holy Virgin is the mother of God, for according to the flesh she gave birth to the word of God, became flesh by birth, let him be anathema. So I guess we all here are anathema. <laughs> based upon what they've said. Now, this reasoning is convoluted. It's convoluted reasoning because they really, you know, we, no one here would disagree that he was God in the flesh. The question is, how did he come to be God in the flesh? This is the issue. And this is what we will deal with today as we deal with the anatomy of the incarnation. And we'll look at it. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things and just grateful that as believers that we can actually see things in the right way. And we know that there are people who actually don't see your word according to the way that it ought to be. A lot of that is because many of them are unsaved. Some of them are not illuminated by the Holy Spirit to understand Scripture. And so we're thankful, Father, that when we're in the right relationship with the Holy Spirit, that we can see Scripture in the way that it is and that we can be thankful for that. We can actually have an understanding of what you have revealed that you want us to know that would impact how we live this life today. And we're so thankful for that potential. In your son's name we pray. Amen. (coughs) And so you have this doctrine of uh, (coughs) Mary being the mother of God or giving birth to the divine nature of God. And uh, it's interesting that they don't see that that's a problem, that they don't they don't have a problem with the fact that she didn't do that. And so what happened here? Mary was chosen to be the mother of the humanity of Christ. And so when you come over to um, Matthew. Chapter. uh, um, Well, I didn't even actually put the scripture there Uh, in, in Matthew, I think it's chapter one. We deal with the issue of the uh, word for virgin. Uh, And so in uh, in dealing with the uh, issue of uh, virgin, um, the word for virgin is what I was trying to do. Let me get that scripture for you later. The word for virgin is there are several different words that are used in scripture for virgin. Uh, You have two in the Old Testament and you have one that as you come over into the New Testament. And so the word for virgin. Virgin is used in the Old Testament. Uh, is, you have two words, uh, Bethula, as a female who had not known a man. You see it used that way in, in Genesis chapter 24 and verse 16. And then you have the word Alma, which is actually the word that is used in um, Isaiah. And let's turn there in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14.
Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And what's interesting uh, is that here Mary was chosen, and one of the reasons was she was chosen was that uh, she was uh, a, a virgin. And so notice in uh, 7 and verse uh, 14, we don't really see this. It's interesting that this, this name, there's a couple of words that are not used today very often in the American culture. Some people say greatly it's reason that it's not used. The word virgin and the word bastard, right? Use, those words used to be very common uh, back in the early part of this country uh, because it was uh, common that women or people did not co- uh, copulate before marriage, right? And then you reached uh, the 60s and it was everything goes. And then it used to be that if you didn't know who your father was, the second word was what was used of you. Right? That was the word that was used. It wasn't used as a curse word in the way that people use it today. It was used as a common term to identify someone who didn't know who their father was. And I think that it was one of the ways that, uh, that they did that, and I'm not so sure that uh, well, you, can, you can argue the merits of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it set a standard in society that no one wanted that for their kids. No one wanted to have a kid and not be able to sign on the birth certificate who the father was. Well, no one cares about that today, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's really common today that that's the case. So here you have here with Mary in uh, Isaiah, the seventh chapter, notice in verse 14 the prophecy that is made of uh, a virgin that is going to be born. There shall, therefore, the Lord shall himself give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. This seems like an oxymoron, right? How can a virgin conceive? <laughs> it just doesn't seem like it makes any sense. And shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we, when we come over to Matthew, we see what the word for Emmanuel means, and it's uh, Christ with us. Now notice you, this is used, actually, there's a scripture there in Matthew 1.23, uh, is the word, the scripture that I was looking for. And so you see the uh, Greek uh, uses of the word for virgin in Matthew 1.23. And so notice uh, the Lord, uh, an angel appears to Joseph, and uh, we'll pick it up in verse 19. Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her uh, public, a public example, was minded to put her away private, uh, privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take thee, Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived of her. Now, notice, if you would, um, and we're going to see this again in verse 20. Very interesting what he says here. That thing, it really, he uses something that you would not use in talking about people. And really, you would translate it, that thing which is conceived of her. And why would he say that? If I went over and I talked to Wendy, and I said to Wendy... Oh, what a thing you had there. What do you think her response would be? That's my little girl. (laughs) You wouldn't say thing when you're talking to a human being or about a human being, right? You wouldn't do that. Now, this this is essential to understand here. That he, and you'll see when we get to Luke, that he translates it this way. 
And so uh, going back, uh, and so he says, uh, for th- and, and, and here in this verse, he just translated that. Well, you wouldn't even call a baby that, right? Well, let me go over to Wendy's and I say, where's that? <laughs> where's that at? <laughs> right? You wouldn't call a baby that. And so this is significant that he uses, even in the translation here in the King James, this word. <laughs> and so he says, that which, uh, which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And, he sh- and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And notice why his name is called Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. And so we can understand that initially when he came, it was, to, it was to the nation of Israel, and he was to be a savior to the nation of Israel, and they rejected him, and then he went to the Gentiles. Notice in verse 22, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the, uh, in the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall uh, be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So this is really interesting when you see people make statements like, if you don't believe that he's an Emmanuel, that he, you don't, you're a heretic, and then they kind of confuse that with other things. Well, we all believe that he's Emmanuel, he was Emmanuel, and that it was God with us. I just don't believe the other stuff you said, <laughs> you see. And so they don't seem to understand that. And so the, the, the reason that she was chosen, one of the reasons she was chosen was she was a, a, she was a virgin. She had not known or been with a man. And this is what was miraculous. And who was the one that caused her to conceive? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And so there are a lot of people in a lot of places. Um, I've had certain people in my family who told me they did not believe in the virgin birth. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, I don't believe you're saved. I don't know how you could be. And so that, there you have that. And no, so notice Mary was chosen because she found favor with God. Look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. Now this is a little different today. You and I don't find favor with God today. But up to the time of uh, the, the day of Pentecost... And you can go back into the Old Testament scriptures and you could see that they could find favor with God. They could find favor with God. Now, you have some people who believe that you could do that today. But when you understand there is a little change that it occurred that has occurred and we'll we'll note it, but we won't dwell on it. That changes this whole dynamic of what was going on there. And so notice in Luke chapter 1, and let's pick it up, if you would, at the time that uh, the angel came and appeared to Mary. And so notice in verse uh, 28, and the angel came and said to her, uh, unto her, and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now this word favor is actually from the word, and we actually talked about this in our Hebrew class yesterday, it's from the word kin. 
Ken is actually um, has this ideal that there was uh, a participation in something that God did. Now, I'll give you an example of this. My grandson was visiting me one day, <clears throat> and we were working out in the shed, and he was helping me move this board. And he says, Grandpa, we're working hard, aren't we? I said, yeah, well, let's go over here and move this two-by-six. And he grabbed the end of it, and, and he worked, and we sat down and got us some Gatorade because we worked hard. And said, whew. He says, Grandpa, we really worked hard. Well, what did he do? He put his hand on the end of the board, <laughs> and he was, you know, walking along with me. And uh, who was bearing the weight of it? I was. But he was participating in it, you see. And in the Old Testament, you can see it proven time and time again that God allowed them to participate in what he was doing. Let me show you a couple of verses that you can see that in. Look at, if you would, uh, well, we'll just go do it one. Genesis chapter 39 and verse 21. All right, let's go, go to Genesis 6. That would be an easy one to show you. Genesis 6. And if I'm, my memory serves me correctly, um, I think it's verse 8. And we're doing good today. My memory's working today, so it works out. So one of the things you find is that Noah found favor with God. He, and, and the word for found is actually the word matzah. It's to look for and to actually seek out and to obtain You see, that's different from what happens today. It's totally different from what happens today. Notice here in verse chapter 6 and verse 8. Well, let's start a little bit just to give you some context. We'll start with one and we'll read down. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and there were daughters that were born unto unto them. And the sons of God, God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And they took them wives of all they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. And yet his days shall be hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. Now notice here, this is very important to see. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. Now what caused this? When the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them. Now you have a lot of people who just think that this is just fanciful to say that angels cohabitated with women. Well, I don't see it that it's fanciful. I'm looking right here at it. <laughs> My eyes are showing me this is actually what happened. And we can prove it from other places of Scripture. That the sons of God came to the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them. The same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown, or really men of a reputation. And so what was happening during this time, and this is important to understand why he says Noah found favor, is that all of what was happening was this corruption in which Satan was trying to corrupt the gene pool. Noah was one of the only people who didn't participate in it. You know, I think that there's something psychological that Satan has found that when you get the majority of the people going in a certain direction, most people will follow. They don't want to be in the minority. 
They want to be doing what everyone else does. And this is what was happening here. Noah didn't do it. He didn't participate in it. And so notice, um, he became, and so notice in verse 5, and God saw that the wickedness of the earth was great, was great upon the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man upon the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping things and the fowls of the air. But it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found, he looked for, he sought out, he found favor with God, you see. And so... That's really, there was a transition that changed from this, where this idea of looking for and finding, you get over to the New Testament, this word that is used for Mary is actually the word eurisco, and it has that same idea to look for and obtain. And it was because of something that they did. Now, Courtney did an excellent job today talking about the idea of there's nothing that you really can do to earn true grace from God. And so notice here in John chapter 1 and verse 17, we'll show you that this ended with the Lord's earthly ministry. This kind of favor ended with the Lord's earthly ministry. Well, actually, beyond there, as he set forth the provisions for this um, dispensation of grace. Notice something interesting that people read and they just probably gloss over. In verse, um, we'll pick it up in verse 15. And John bare witness of him and cried, saying that he, it, this was he of whom I spake. He that comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And, and I would say, out from his fullness, out from his fullness, from his fullness, uh, we have all received, and notice here in verse 16, grace. They translated grace for grace. I would translate it this way, grace instead of favor, you see, grace instead of favor. There is no favor today. There is nothing attached today in what God does for the believer today. No strings, there's nothing attached at all. Totally unmerited in any sense of the word. But Mary... During that time, she found favor with God. She sought for it. She obtained favor with God. And I think one of the, re- one of the things that probably uh, played into that was that she was a virgin. I think that was one of the things. Now notice here in Hebrews chapter 10, we get to how, this is, how did this conception take place. Now we have in football... They call it the um, Immaculate Reception. <laughs> they did a parody off of that, you know, for, um, I think it was back some football game with um, Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris and some miracle play that they, they uh, pulled off. But this, this is totally different. Notice the son, what you see, it was the son when he became incarnate. In order to understand that he was the eternal son, he's always been the eternal son, right? 
But he came and he took on a human body. How did that take place? Well, we see some uh, semblance of it here in, in Hebrews chapter 10. He tells you in Hebrews chapter 10 that a body was prepared for him. Uh, and notice if you go back into Hebrews chapter 10. And let's look, if you would, at verse, we'll start with verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered to the year by year uh, continually make the commas thereunto. The word perfect is actually mature. And we've seen this, that no one under law matured. You can look at Hebrews chapter 17, verse, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 19. Not one single person under law matured. But do you know that every single believer today has the potential to mature? Every single believer. There is nothing lacking in any believer. And I would always say that there is no believer today, there's no such thing as a baby Christian. You realize that? If you call yourself a baby Christian, you're insulting yourself. You have the ability to grow and mature from the time that you believe. And there is no lag time. You, once the time that you believe the facts of the gospel, Christ died on the cross for our sins and was buried and was raised, have the ability to surpass people who have been saved for all their lives. There is no lag time. The only lag time is us. And so... They didn't do it under law. And so notice, and that's why <clears throat> the law, it wasn't anything wrong with the law. There was something wrong with people. And it could not mature believers. And so notice, he says in verse 2, For then would they have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is in a remembrance again made every of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. God never desired these sacrifices of blood, of blood, the blood of bulls and goats. They were just a stopgap measure until Christ came. Now, you want to be careful in saying this. God was always saving those in the Old Testament on the basis of the work that Christ was going to accomplish. But do you know he didn't tell them that? It's not until you get to this dispensation that he reveals what he's doing. Hold your finger just there one second, and I want to just put, give you the scripture because I don't want to just say things and you just say, All right, yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, look at Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> now notice he says in verse um, 23, for all have sinned, and when did, when did all sin in Adam? And keep on falling short of the glory of God, is how I would translate that. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation. Propitiation is a place of satisfaction. Through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that were what? Past. You see, the cross takes care of the sins that came before it and the sins that take care of that came after it. God was always saving men on the basis of the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. He didn't make it known until today, this last time, you see. And so 
he never really desired these sacrifices and offerings were just a stopgap measure until Christ came to pay the ultimate price for sins. And if you say, well, the sacrifices were, they were able to take away sins, then what, why did Christ come? Then you just continue to offer up sacrifices, right? No, they were always looking toward him coming. And so here's the issue here. He says in verse 5, Wherefore, when he comes into the world, you said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body thou hast prepared for me. And so this word for body here, it's actually the word soma, and it's used of a physical tent that is occupied by men. And so you see it used that way. And, and, and let's look at First Thessalonians 5.23. When you talk about um, anthropos or mankind, there's three things that make up the uh, nature of man. There's body, soul, and spirit. And so you see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse um, 23. <clears throat> and notice Paul is talking to the Thessalonians and he says uh, this as he's closing out the letter. Uh, in verse 21, he says, prove all things. Uh, really, the proof is put to the test for the purpose of approving all things. And, and, and that's a good statement there. Don't just take whatever you hear and just run with it. Put it to the test. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's three things that make up man, body, soul, and spirit. Now, part of the person is the, well, the members of the Godhead don't have a soul, but human beings have a soul. And we could see that when Christ took on this human body, that he did say that he had a soul as part of the human nature. But he joined, his, what we could see is that he took this body was, was fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, and the Son took his person and joined it to that human body, and thus became the God-man. Now, here, if you say that Mary gave birth to his spirit and to his body, you're saying that she gave birth to its divine person, you see. She didn't. What we see here is the Holy Spirit fashioned the body in Mary's womb and the Son then joined his person to that human body, thus becoming the God-man. And now let's see if that's the case, and we'll, we, I think we can prove that. Now notice, uh, the body of the Lord was prepared, he said, and if you go back to Hebrews chapter um, 10 and verse 5, this issue of prepared, what does he mean when he says, a body you has prepared for me? <clears throat> and so, this word for uh, prepared is actually the word catarzo, uh, uh, and it, it is used 13 times in the New Testament. In a literal sense, it means to repair or mending or fashioning a material, and in a metaphorical sense of adjusting the mind. And so I think it's used here in this idea of a fashioning of material that this body was fashioned for him. And we can go back over to Luke and we could see that the Holy Spirit was the one that did it. 
And so this body was fashioned. And um, I don't want to look at uh, it's. Well, let's look at the Galatians 6 passage. This is more in a metaphorical way that it's used. And then we'll look at uh, how it's used of a literal, in a physical sense. Now, notice in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man be uh, overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one uh, in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And that idea of to, again, it actually has that mending idea or really an adjustment to adjust one back to their proper place is how it's being used that way. Uh, and then in Matthew 4, and, and I think this idea of fashioning uh, or mending, it's use of nets uh, back in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 21. Matthew 4 and verse 21. And so here you see the disciples who were fishermen. And so notice in verse 20, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other Brethren, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother in the ship uh, with John, uh, with Zebedee, his father, mending their nets. And he called them. And so this idea of adjusting or uh, uh, repairing in this instance, it would be. But I think in the instance that it's used here in Hebrews, a body you have have prepared for me, you have fashioned for me. Now, when. Uh, Cohen and Adlin was born, they didn't say to Darlene, a body you have fashioned for me, I will now come and take control of it. They were born with body, soul, and spirit at the same time. You see, the birth of the Lord Jesus was completely different. The Holy Spirit fashioned the human body or humanity of the Lord in the womb of Mary. And at that point, at some point, we don't know when, he joined his spirit and and also got a human soul that was fashioned to that body and he became the God-man. This is the only way it could happen, you see. Otherwise, you could say that she actually gave birth to deity, which is impossible for that to happen. Now, look at, if you would, let's go back over to Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. Now, we're going to see this issue again of this holy thing. Now, some of this you can't see in the um, English. and It was translated that over in Matthew. And notice, why do you, uh, you refer to a body that is going to be fashioned as that? Because it doesn't have a personality. I would suppose if you were pointing at a dead body, you could say, look at that dead body, right? Because there's no person there, you see. And so it's a similar thing happening here. Now notice in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35 here. We'll start again. um, Let's pick it up in verse uh, 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shall bring forth a son... And shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David. Now think about this. This is an aside here. Uh, Pastor Dave preached a message uh, some years ago called uh, Christmas is a Jewish Holiday. 
And really it is. Who did he come from? For? He came to offer himself as king and savior for Israel. Right? And it's not until they rejected him that he turned into the other direction and brought the Gentiles in. And so notice verse 33. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Really, it's into an age. And for his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall these things, how, how shall these be, seeing that I know not a man? Verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, now notice how they translate it here, and that holy thing. Now why do they say thing? Huh? Now, I hope you don't go around calling newborn babies things. Or people who are pregnant, things. That thing you got in you. Well, before the Holy, before the Son joined His human uh, or His nature to this body, that's what it was when it was fashioned in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. You see, and so now this idea of holy thing—it's actually, it really—it um, uh, you could actually say the thing which is holy, which is set apart. It's really the thing. It, you could translate it really the thing coming to be in you, that is set apart, right? He's not talking about the completion of the human nature. Now, some people get a little silly when they say that. So what do you mean? He went, did she go about five or six months where there was no spirit or um, soul in the body? Oh, let's not be ridiculous. Well, we don't know when that happened, but we do know at conception, this is what happened, that a body was fashioned. And I do believe that probably soon after there, that his spirit was joined to that body, you see. Now creating or making the God-man. And that's the only way that this kind of conception could have happened. (coughs) Mary did not have the ability to give birth to God. And so the son joined his spirit to the humanity fashioned by um, the spirit, uh, by the Holy Spirit to become the God man. And so you could see this as he moved during his earthly ministry. Notice you're going to see in the, in the realm of his um, a human nature that he had a, he was able to be troubled by his soul. Look at an example in John chapter um, 12 and verse 27. <laughs> John chapter 12, and notice in verse 27. And so here you see, as a, we, we, are, we have what we, as a result of the incarnation. So we call this Christmas, but really the accurate term would be that this is Incarnation Day. It's a celebration of the Son taking on a human body who existed in eternity past. And so notice here in verse 27, you can see that as a result of being, he was 100% God, he was 100% man, and you cannot take away from either side, you see. And so notice here, you can see in the realm of his humanity, he could be troubled in his soul. 
notice what he says here first. Uh, let's go back to 23 and we'll pick it up. And Jesus answered him saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a coin of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it uh, die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also I am, um, there shall I also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into this hour. Now, in the realm of his divine nature, he's not going to be troubled by circumstances that come up. This is totally in the realm of his human nature that he's experiencing this. Notice the word for trouble is the word for terrasso. And this idea of being agitated, there's an agitation that is going on in the realm of your emotions. And you see it when he's in the garden. <clears throat> Notice <clears throat> in Matthew 26 and verse 38, God would not be troubled this way. But the son, having taken on a human body and a human nature, could actually experience this. And so in Matthew chapter 26, and notice in verse um, 38, we'll um, pick it up in 36. Then comes Jesus with them into the place called Gethsemane. And he said unto the disciples, sit here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be very, to be sorrowful. Um, this word for sorrowful as actually is, uh, is to be grieved and to be very heavy or distressed. Then said they, he to them, then said he to, unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. So we see a son who um, has a human nature. He has a soul in which his soul can be, he feels and so you, if you, when they hit him and they were beating him, he didn't say, oh, I'm God. That doesn't really bother me. In the realm of his human nature, he felt it. Um, and so then you have the ideal that uh, the understanding, too, that he was able he had a human spirit. He had a spirit in which he was able to that in his human body, he had a spirit as well. In Matthew chapter, uh, chapter two and verse 20, verse eight. <clears throat> Matthew chapter two and verse eight. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 2 and verse 8. Now notice in Mark chapter 2 and verse 8, and immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? And so this ideal is, uh, is in the realm of his human spirit. He was able to logically see through things and um, and come to the conclusion of what was what these people were actually thinking about early on in the, in the context there. But let me show you another thing here in, in Luke chapter two. And we'll close it out that he took on this human body and he joined his uh, nature to this human body. And 
even at that, he had to grow naturally like a normal man. And you see it at the end of chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2. Notice, um, let's pick it up, if you would, in verse uh, 41. So this is given the insight of when he was with his parents and they went to Jerusalem and they left Jerusalem and didn't know that he was there. And he was back as a kid in the temple speaking to the the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these lawyers and such. And notice in verse 41 what happened. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went unto Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew it not. But they supposing him to have been in the company when a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintances. And when they found him not, they turned back again into Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, and hearing them, and asking them questions. And all they that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he says unto them, how was it that you sought me? Don't you know that word wist? Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not this saying, the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and he was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things in, uh, in uh, these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased. And notice here, in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. And I believe in the realm of his human nature, he grew just like any other kid would grow. His birth was different. It was unlike any other birth that took place. But in the realm of his humanity, he experienced a normal life. Now notice... As he grew up, I don't think that he was running around telling his parents, don't you know I'm God? I don't have to do that nonsense. (laughs) You know, I don't think he did that. (laughs) I think he grew up just like any normal human being, any normal kid. And it tells you here that he subjected himself to his parents. But his birth was different. Where did the Catholic Church get it wrong? They think that Mary gave birth to his body and his spirit, which would be given birth to his divinity. You see, that didn't happen. A body was fashioned in Mary's womb, and the son joined his nature to that body, thus becoming the divine man, the God-man. It couldn't happen any other way. The Catholic Church has believed this for years. They even preach it today. This is why they deify Mary and why they believe that she gave birth to God. Thank God we have scripture because we can see that that's absolutely not true. We celebrate the incarnation because God took on human flesh. 
A lot of people say it's Christmas. This is something much better than Christmas. Right? Much better than Christmas. And has implications for our life, not only now, but the life to come. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of looking at these things and grateful that as believers that we have the opportunity to be saved as a result of you sending your son uh, and to be joined to this human body and that as a result of that, that he died and was buried and was raised that we might be saved. We're so thankful, Father, for that, not because of anything that we've done. We've not done one single thing to earn it, not one. We cannot do one single thing to continue to hold on to it, not one. Your son has done it all from start to finish. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in us, that we're able to glorify you as we order our manner of life here on this earth. And we're thankful for that potential in your son's name we pray. Amen.